Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. My name is Shane Hughes. Uh, and if you're visiting with here with us today, um, maybe you decided, you know, hey, it's a new year, it's a new month, it's a new week, it's a new decade, and I'm going to get some things straight. And part of you getting your life together was you coming to church uh, and you decided to come here. Whether you're coming back to church or this is the first time you ever walked through uh, doors like those, uh, we want to know how glad we are you are here and how stinking proud of you we are. Um, it is good to have you as uh, a part of us this morning. And, and we want to encourage you, if that's your story, or maybe that's not your story, maybe you haven't thought about uh, what you want to do for 2020 at all, uh, because you're just trying to figure out what happened in 2019. And, um, and, and you have just now considered like, okay, what could I do in the new year? Um, we are glad you're here too. Uh, I think that the hardest thing about making uh, any sort of New Year resolution or any sort of change is the fact that you have to change. I have started so many diets, and I didn't change anything that I... <coughs> okay, I'm just going to warn you, like, I'm going to cough through this whole thing. I have started so many diets, and I didn't change my diet, and I was shocked that I wasn't losing any weight. Change is hard. This is really difficult stuff that you're engaging in, and uh, it's really tough to do it by yourself. Uh, it's a lot easier. It's way easier if you have some support systems in place, if you have some structure um, to help you, and that includes your spiritual and emotional life. And so here at Highland, we have a few things that we want to offer to you as, as maybe part of that structure that helps you keep those commitments um, starting in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have a meeting about our uh, Restoration Highland Groups, a launch lunch. It's going to be Sunday, uh, January 26th. It's going to be out in the atrium. It's a free lunch, and you can come and hear about what our uh, Restore Highland Groups do and what they're looking at studying this year. And we want to encourage you to be a part of that. We want you to come and check that out because that's a way that you can engage in your spiritual journey with other people. If part of your commitment this year uh, you've been thinking about, man, I'd really love to work on my marriage and improve that. Uh, we have a program called Reengage, and there's some uh, newcomer meetings <coughs> over the next couple of weeks. Um, and you can check out more information on the website there. There's also a table. If you go out to the atrium today, uh, you'll see a big Reengage re sign, and they will tell you more information about ways that you and your spouse can work on your uh, relationship together. You know, I think that when we get in the habit of becoming focused on God, the most beneficial thing is to remain in that habit, to get that rhythm that exists in your life that keeps bringing you back to rest in the Spirit of God, to be in the presence of God. And I would love to tell you, like, if this is what you've resolved for this year, your life is going to get better. But the, the sad reality is it's going to get harder first but then it's going to get better. What I can promise you is that if you engage in a life and a calling where you dedicate yourself to follow Jesus, you're going to have the most meaningful experiences that you can imagine. And so think about restore or Highland groups or, or re-engage if that's the right thing. We're starting a new series uh, this Sunday that uh, Luke last week kind of gave a preamble for. It's, it's based on the book the Kindness Challenge. Now, 
In first service, I had a stack of these books, and I was going to give them away to anybody that wanted them, and I'd even save some back for you guys, but they took them all, and I have a uh, list of people that still want them. So this is what I'm going to offer to you. If you would like to engage and read this book, I think it's incredible, and I want you to do it. And after the service, come and find me. I'm going to be right over there, and you can sign up, and I'm going to send you or get you that book as quickly as I can. And there's only one string attached, and I'll tell you what that is. Um, The reason we're doing that book is because my wife found it and read it, and all of a sudden, my life was changing. (laughs) Everything was better. And I, I thought, this is great. Like, I am really rocking life. I am killing it. Nope. It was my wife doing all of the work. She was improving our marriage. And it took me like two weeks to figure out what was going on. But it was the kindness challenge. And so I want to encourage you to take the challenge. Kindness is one of those virtues that's becoming more and more absent in our culture. And I'm, I'm not sure why, why it's happening in a big uh, kind of macro scale, but I do know why it's happening uh, to me personally. And it started about 18, 24 months ago, and it was because we had a six-week-old and we had a two-year-old, and eventually we developed this rule that anything that is said after 1.30 in the morning doesn't count. (laughs) Carte blanche grace. Everybody gets it no matter what is said, uh, because that's the only way that you can make it through that time and period in your life. But eventually, the baby began to get more sleep. And we realize these habits, um, they're not going to hurt us. They can't last. We had to do something different. When I was living in California, I had a friend who was moving to Arkansas, and I had just come from that place. And so we were talking about some of the differences between California and, and Arkansas. And, and now in some ways, the, the benefit of living in a small town is similar to what it's like here. There's, there's no commute, and there's hardly any wait for restaurants, you very rarely have to circle a parking lot to find uh, a place to park. And if you go to a place like a, a public space, like a park, you can, it's pretty easy to find a place where you can be alone in public. And those are things that are very difficult to do in the city of San Jose. I mean, and that's true for the most part here in Abilene, except on like a couple of weekends. If you go to a Boilos sing-song weekend or graduation weekend, that's your own fault. That's on you. And there's this apocryphal story about, um, there was this, this mall in San Jose, and it was kind of, it was a popular mall, and it, it emptied onto this kind of very narrow side street, but that side street emptied onto a very uh, large highway system that was only like a quarter of a mile away. And so there was this very thin artery between this huge mall and this major highway. And most of the time, it was no big deal because you just drive out of the parking, um, uh, the parking lot mall, you know, that structure and you could just zip onto the highway, no big deal. The only time where it might be actually really crazy busy on the mall would be a day like the day after Thanksgiving. Well, someone forgot to change the timing on that light in that small little artery, and people were backed up 
into the, the parking structure for three or four hours. They were calling the police asking what's going on because they couldn't, it was just total pandemonium in there. People were running out of gas. The batteries on their cars were dying. Not like the car battery that most of us have, but the electric cars, they just, they couldn't move anymore. They were bricked there and they, because they couldn't get this one light to work properly. And I can just imagine the mayhem that was happening in that moment. There's another place in San Jose, it's called Santana Row, and it has a parking structure that's seven or eight stories tall. And it has lots of fancy shops with lots of fancy things like a, a Tesla store where you can buy cars and uh, places where you can buy fancy bags. And I don't care about any of that stuff, but I did like one of the restaurants there. And so I went there to go get takeout one time and they had these fancy meters uh, where you could tell a light would be green if the spot was empty, it would turn red if somebody was in the spot. And so you could arrive on the floor of the parking structure and kind of just stick your head up and see where the empty spots were. Well, first floor, all red. Second floor, all red. Third floor, all red. What is going on? Fourth floor, all red. I drove around that parking structure with like 200 other cars for like 27 minutes trying to find a place just so I could go get carry out. And I was so mad by the time I found a spot because I knew that my food was already cold. It was too late. And so I go down to the, the place and I go to the, the, the carryout window and I get there and there's nobody at the window. And it was a kind of an unconscious thing, but my hand starts doing this. And I see the girl and she rounds the corner and I can tell immediately uh, she's been having a hard shift. Like, things are not easy right now in that restaurant. It may have something to do with all of the parking lot spaces being filled in this giant parking structure. But you know what? I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. <laughs> right before I give her the gift certificate for the food that I'm taking home that somebody from church gave me. Um, there was just not a lot of margin in my life on that day. And there are times and seasons, even in a place like Abilene, that takes the margin in our lives, that space where you can handle a disruption or an annoyance or something, and you can deal with it. It takes that margin and just shrinks it down. When we have too much to do at work and too many things that our kids are involved in, and there's too much travel in the holidays, and the reality is, is that even though our workforce has become extremely more efficient in how they complete tasks, there is still just as much to do every week now as there was before. In fact, you have more to do, and it feels like less time to get it done. And one of the first things that disappears when you have too much to do, when you know you're running late, when you haven't had enough sleep, is kindness. And pile on top of that the social situation that's happening in America today and the political situation that's happening in America today there is an erosion of decency in our public speech, and we don't have a lot of models of what it looks like to be kind to one another when things are stressful. You have to remember that kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It is one of the manifestations of what it looks like when God's Spirit is in us. If we are following Jesus, kindness is not an option. We don't get to choose not to be kind if we are choosing Jesus. But what I want us to see is that kindness is a reflection of Christ in us, but it's also a benefit. 
Kindness will make your life better. Kindness really is a superpower. Uh, Kindness can melt walls. All right, imagine this. It's the day before Thanksgiving, and you forgot something, and you have to run to Walmart to get it. And it's one of those days in Walmart where the parking lot really is completely full. And so you park, and you go in, and you have to brave and fight the crowds for that last can of pumpkin pie filling. You have to sit in line, and by the time you get out of there, you're ready to get home and be done with all this mess. And just as you're pulling out of the slot, your vehicle, there comes this other car rip-roaring down the aisle, going way too fast. You have to slam on their brakes, or your brakes. They have to slam on their brakes. And in that moment, a few choice words comes ahead of what you'd like to say, and maybe some nonverbal gesture communications about the displeasure you feel at the current situation. Maybe you get out of your car and would like to offer a few comments on the other person's perceived or lack thereof, their eyesight. Maybe they have a few choice words to say to you as well. But it ends as those things do, and you go back in your car and you go on your way. What happens to you for the next 45 minutes in your day? I don't know about you, but my reaction is going to replay that event over and over in my head. And I might say something like, yep, they deserved it. I told them. I hope they learned their lesson. Or I think, you know, what I should have done was I should have just given And meanwhile, you walk through the door of the next place you're supposed to be. And as you walk through that door, there is someone on the other side that desperately needs you to be the hands and the face and the feet of Jesus. But you are not in the mental, emotional, or spiritual place to be there for them. Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's someone that you don't know, but they still need your help. Now, back that up and replay the story again. Get out of Walmart. You're desperately tired. You're ready to get back to what you need to do. You begin to back out of that spot. Somebody whips down their aisle. You slam on your brakes. They slam on theirs. And instead of getting out of your car with those future choice words, instead you say, I didn't see you. I'm sorry. Are you okay? That was, that was my fault. I should have been more careful. How are they going to respond differently? Now, they might respond to say, yeah, you're right, it's your fault. You weren't looking. But if that happens, you double down on kindness. You know what? I hope this is the worst part of your day. I hope that this moment right here is is the worst part of it. I hope it just gets better from here on out. You know, I'm sorry. And maybe, maybe kindness changes something. Maybe you get a, you know what, I was probably driving too fast. But even if you don't, it doesn't matter. That's the key. Even if you don't, it doesn't matter. Because what happens for the next 45 minutes of your life in that situation? When you walk through the door where someone needs you, you are present and you are able to be there. Kindness is a superpower. If you want to talk about real superhero powers, kindness can melt walls. We're going to look at some... um, comic book heroes over the course of of this series. Um, That's mostly just me geeking out. You may like that. You may not. It doesn't even really fit the series. I don't care. I'm just doing it. (laughs) Kindness can melt walls. There's, There's two big superheroes, right? There's Superman. 
When Superman was introduced in 1945, but one of the things that Superman could do from the very beginning was melt walls with his vision. And, and it, could, it could melt anything. He could poke a hole in anything just by looking at it. Now, Supergirl, who's on TV right now, uh, she has a series. She can do the same thing because she came from the same planet. But it's really funny. You can YouTube this when you get home. Watch the Supergirl use her, her melting vision without the special effects locked in. Like, I'm sure in the script, what it says is, look intensely, because this is what she does. She goes, <laughs> right? She just looks really intense, and it's, it's kind of silly, but she's melting a wall. Superman can do that with his power. If you don't dig on um, DC and Marvel, Cyclops was the guy that had this power, and that was kind of his only power, which made him a little more special. And I really identified with Cyclops because he always wanted to follow the rules and be the good leader and be the good guy, and that was kind of like the way I grew up, but he just wasn't as cool as Wolverine and the rest of the X-Men. That was just kind of my life. If someone is frustrated with you, if someone is angry with you, if someone is having a terrible day and they want to take it out on you, they can't see you. All they can see is the wall that's blocking their vision. They are effectively blind. And if you are kind to them, you poke a hole in that wall. And it changes things. The most powerful thing that God does in the world is not raising the dead, and it's not healing the sick. It's not producing tons and tons of food for the crowd. It is the changed human heart. And the most amazing thing about the most powerful miracle in the world is that God does it all the time. He is always calling people back into relationship with him and with each other. And kindness for what God restores the world as he redeems somebody else. And when you embody Jesus, when you are kind to that stranger or that loved one or to someone who has that wall up, who's someone who has their defenses ready, who's strapped on that spiky armor and they are ready to fight at a moment's notice. And I guarantee you at some point in your marriage, your spouse was ready for that and you were kind to them. It opens this hole. And I don't know how it happens, but I've seen it happen. God's spirit just pours through that hole and it can change things. Kindness is a superpower, and it's one of the most underutilized through the Spirit that we have. Because kindness is love in action, even to people who don't deserve it. I want us to think about that for a second, and I want you to see the difference between kind and nice. Have you ever had anyone say to you, you need to be nice to your cousin because she's family? Or your spouse leans over and whispers in your ear, you need to be nice to him. He's married to a VP in my company. Nice. <laughs> kind guys. Hear me now. Kind guys. They get the girls. And let me tell you why. Because nice is a reaction to power. I don't want to do this. I don't feel like I should have to do this, but I'm going to because they are connected, because they are family, because they can help me advance my career, or because they can hurt me. It's an appeasement to power. And all that does is it creates a barrier between you and that other person because you are not being your authentic self. And they can't see who you really are. It's an external reaction to the power of those around you. Kindness, on the other hand, is an expression of empathy and love. 
Kindness is seeing someone else's circumstance and seeing someone else for who they truly are, not the image that they put forward, not the false presentation that they're trying to to commit to you that they are powerful or they are smart or they have it all together. If you meet someone that is trying to present an image of power, it is because on the inside, there's a desperately terrified child who is afraid. If you meet someone that needs to present like they've got it all together and their life is just fine, thank you very much, it is because there is a very deep hurt inside of them that they're afraid to let out. They're terrified of being vulnerable. Anyone that is trying to protect wealth has come from a place of insecurity. It's just armor. It's a defense mechanism. And if you can see through that wall and see the hurting person underneath, when you can hear their pain and see their struggle, then you understand where they're coming from. Even the, most rich, even the richest and most powerful person in America, on the inside, what they want is to be known, to experience kindness. Now, you can be nice to anybody. Guys think that when they're nice to girls, it'll get them what they want. Do you see the problem with that statement? If I'm nice to someone, I get what I want. It's a power play. It is a transactional bargain that puts up the appearance of acceptance and love as a bargaining chip. That might be the most antithetical thing to the gospel that we do on a weekly basis. But when you are kind, I see you for who you are. I'm going to love you for who you are out of my authentic self. It's not because I need something from you, not because I expect to get something from you, but because that's who God calls me to be, that can change the world. That can save your marriage. Kindness always beats nice. I think Jesus expresses this in in, uh, Luke chapter six, beginning in verse 27. He says, but I say to you, uh, that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not even withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I think we take that last sentence and we put a little asterisk there in our Bible. And in the Hughes translation at the bottom where you want to read the fine print, it says something like, as long as they reciprocate, as long as it doesn't cost me anything, as long as within two actions they start treating me better. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, treat others the way you want to be treated. Be kind to them. Express love to them. In fact, don't react when someone tries to hurt you. I think reaction in that moment is so rarely kindness. I don't know if you can act that way. Reaction is niceness. When somebody hurts you, when somebody tries to take something from you, when someone tries to ruin you, instead treat them with kindness. Treat them the way you want to be treated. Treat them the way God treated us. Jesus goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom <coughs> excuse me, you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend. Expect nothing in return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. There's this curious uh, part of Romans where Paul's going to quote this Old Testament text about, be kind to your enemies, and in doing so, you will heap burning coals on their heads. And if you think about for that for a second, is, is that being kind or is that being mean? I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to do something loving to you so that it hurts you. That sounds a little passive-aggressive to me. But I, I don't think that's what Paul means. I don't think that's what the Old Testament means. I think he's referring perhaps maybe to Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah the prophet has this vision, and he's taken up into heaven, and he's in God's throne room. He sees the seraphim, and, and, and God kind of asks this question, who are we going to send to do this message? And Isaiah responds by saying, look, I come from an unclean people, and I have an unclean mouth. I am not worthy to do this. And in a moment, they take a burning coal from the altar of God, and they press it against his mouth, and God says, now you're worthy to do the thing. The burning coal is an act of sanctification. It makes Isaiah worthy to do what God has called him to do. And so when Paul says, keep burning coals on their head, he's not saying, you're going to hurt them because they're mean to you and you keep being nice to them and, and eventually they're going to feel guilty. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is when you act in kindness despite someone else's meanness to you, their cruelty to you, the way that they act as your enemy, you begin, you partner with God to begin the sanctification in their life. And that's incredible. Because the truth of this reflective statement is loving the other is how you love yourself. If in your marriage and in your relationships, you're always trying to put your needs and your preferences and your desires first and everything solely about you, you are going to end up very much alone. It is the paradox of Jesus and it's the paradox of the church that the way you love others and the way you empty yourself out for others is the way you teach others to love you. And it's the way you find fulfillment. It is the wisdom of Jesus. The most frequent subject to the verb kind in the Bible is God. As I was preparing for this series, I went through scripture to find the stories of people being kind to other people so we could look at those. And we're gonna look at some of those together. But overwhelmingly, everywhere, the most common person, the most common person in scripture who is being kind is God. It is God's loving kindness that lasts for generations. It is God who is kind. It is God who shows kindness over and over and over. One of the central attributes about God is that God is kind because God cannot help but express his love. Think about that for a second. God can't help but express his love. It's who he is. He can't sit back and wait to see if someone else is going to love him first he doesn't wait to see if you're going to be obedient to him so that he can bless you with his love. He doesn't wait and judge you and say, well, I guess you're good enough. You're worthy of my love. God does none of those things. He acts first to show his love to humanity. He can't help 
but do who he is. And he is love. The best expression of kindness, God's loving kindness, is Jesus. Think about his stories. Think about the way that Jesus treats others in Scripture. I want to challenge you to read the Gospels this week and find a place where Jesus is not being kind. Or try to find a place in the Gospels where Jesus is being nice, where he's trying to appease power for his own sake. Jesus is never nice. He is always kind. And because he is kind, we follow in his footsteps. And so I have a challenge for you this week. And now we're going to talk a little bit later about how to best be kind to the people in your life. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler, a little sneak. Um, It's pretty interesting how it happens because this is how Jesus does it. It's not really that complicated, but it doesn't sound that hard. You basically, you ask them, what can I do for you? That's the best way to be kind to someone else is just to ask them point blank, what do you need? That's what Jesus does when he encounters people that need his help. But I want to challenge you to, to be kind to someone around you. And I'm not talking about random acts of kindness. That's a beautiful phrase and a wonderful idea. That's not what I mean. I want you to have laser-like focus and be kind to one person in your life. And then just see what happens. And so this week, pick someone that's close to you Maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's a child, maybe it's a roommate, but it's someone that you interact with on a daily basis. And this week, for three days, three days in a row, I want you to do one thing, and all you have to do is outlast them for five minutes after they fall asleep. That's all you have to do is outlast them for five minutes. After they fall asleep, what I want you to do is text them an encouraging note. Because if they're like me and everybody else I know, the first thing that they do when they wake up is they reach for their phone and they take a look at it. Before I put on my glasses, I look at my phone in the morning and what they're gonna see, the first thing that they're gonna see from you is a text that says, I'm proud of you. I'm grateful for you. You know, I noticed yesterday the way you treated somebody else and it, I'm so glad I'm, I'm with you. For three days in a row, Text somebody close to you and tell them something that you, you see about them that you encourage. Now, like I said, that may not work for every person, um, but so you may have to think about writing a note and putting it on their coffee cup or figuring out the best way so that the first thing that they see when they wake up in the morning is an encouragement from you that is kind. Not because you're hoping to get something out of them. Not because you want to impress them with your kindness but because God was kind to us. I I would even encourage you, if you have that person in your life that's your enemy, that you get frustrated with, that you get bothered by, try to, this week, kill them (laughs) with kindness. I said in first, if the live stream dropped right then, that could be really bad. Um, try to kill them with kindness. It doesn't matter how they act to you. You're not going to react to them except to be proactive in the way that you can love them. Kill them with kindness. 
and see what happens. See what God can do when that hole gets poked in their armor. I believe that the kindness can change your marriage. It can change your job. I have a suspicion that kindness could even change the world. So let's, let's see what happens. Please stand for your benediction. The God of mercy who was so kind to us to send his son to die. The God who more often than not pours out his loving kindness with abundance on all of us calls us to go. And so may you this week be filled with the Spirit. May you be bold in the way that you are kind to those in your school or in your job or in your family or your children. And may you kill them with kindness. Go in peace.